This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Phil Mervis is Senior Research Fellow at both the Global Network on Corporate Citizenship and the Babson Social Innovation Lab. He's an organizational psychologist whose research and private practice concerns large-scale organizational change, the character of the workforce and workplace, and the role of business in society. Phil is a regular contributor to academic and professional journals, and he's authored or edited 12 books, including the acclaimed study of the national mood, The Cynical Americans, and a study of corporate human resource investments, Building the Competitive Workforce. His latest work with Brad Guggens is The New Business of Business, Innovation for a Better World. Hugely important topic, and that's what we get into in this conversation. He has led public and corporate seminars all over the world, addressing leading university faculties and professional groups and lectured in over 50 nations. In this episode, we talk about the increasing importance of social innovation in today's workplace, and Phil describes the four types of social innovation strategies that businesses adopt and the ways in which they energize employees while boosting business results. We discuss the changing demographics of the workplace, how millennials in particular are keenly focused on doing good as an integral part of their work, and how engagement in social innovations enriches employees' lives by enhancing their sense of purpose, their sense of meaning. Phil was a mentor to me when we were both doctoral students at the University of Michigan way back in the early 1980s. His work and passion continue to enlighten and inspire me. Back then, Phil was working with Ben and Jerry's, who were true pioneers in the field of social innovation. Their model for a triple bottom line is now almost mainstream. And it's really helpful and fascinating to learn how this concept has grown and to explore the different platforms now being used for social innovation in today's business world. That's what you're going to learn by listening to this episode. That and more. Well, I hope you like the Work and Life podcast. And if you do, I would so much appreciate it if you would rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen. So others are more likely to find and enjoy it too. And now, get set to listen to and learn from a global thought leader on bringing greater meaning to business life through doing social good, it's Phil Mervis. It's so great to have you here. Welcome to Work and Life. 
Well, thank you, Stu. It's nice to be with you and hello to your audience. Well, all right, Phil. So you've been studying, I want to focus, at least in the first part of our conversation, on uh, the work you've been doing and that you uh, wrote about so powerfully and comprehensively in your piece with Brad Guggins in, uh, in, a, in an article called Engaging Employees as Social Innovators uh, in the California Management Review last year. Um, introduce us uh, to our listeners who might not be familiar with, with this field. What is social innovation and what is so important about it? Well, delighted, Stu. Uh, I'll tell you where you can see it uh, vividly is on your campus at uh, UPenn and uh, most every other campus in the world. You'll see undergraduates and graduate students uh, working in uh, innovation laboratories or incubators, as they call. Uh-huh. Um, you'll see it on television, of course, with the uh, uh, the various uh, shows of uh, people bringing innovations to Mark Dubin and, and his guests, and they're re- uh, evaluating them. Mm-hmm. You see it in communities and so on. What's key about the social piece yes. is an innovation not just designed uh, to be a benefit to uh, you for business purposes or commercial purposes and so on. Mm-hmm. It's, aimed, it's aimed to benefit society. Mm-hmm. So you can buy a, a Lego toy of Space Wars, uh, Star Wars, etc. You can buy, also buy a Lego toy that will help you learn, that will uh, develop creative capabilities, expand your, your mindset, etc., uh, etc. Et and that's just in the product space. And so uh, we're going to get into your extremely helpful categorization of different kinds of platforms for social innovation. I, I, I'm going to ask you to describe the four main ones and give us some examples of them. But before we dig in uh, to, to those varieties this, that you have uh, so well cataloged, uh, what is important about social innovation in the business world today? Well, I think there's really three underlying factors. Mm -hmm. Number one, if I'm just going to take a a business perspective on it, there's plenty of businesses that are achieving their profitable results by mergers, downsizing, cost-cutting, creating financial instruments, et cetera, et cetera. Their growth of sales is flat. Mm. They need to innovate. So that's number one. Now, innovation is big in, in every company is, in terms of talk, but making it happen something else. Mm-hmm. Number, number two is this, the marketplace are changing. People are looking for products, tools, ideas that are not just helpful to them, but also have some component of uh, uh, environmental consideration. Is it a green product? Uh, is there something about the company making it or some way that mm-hmm. I can use it that will be a benefit uh, not just to me but to uh, other people in society writ large? Mm-hmm. And, and third, within so that's, the voice piece, that's it, uh, let me just out. dig in on that one. So consumers are more mindful of the impact of their, their purchasing power in terms of what it is that they're investing their consumer resources in, and, and they are more conscious, more mindful of trying to make – uh, cost decisions, investment decisions, spending decisions based on larger, larger impact on the world. No, oh, all, all of the above. The, I mean, the, right now, today, uh, uh, some sixty percent of the public says I'm interested in the social benefits and environmental uh, uh, conditions that were uh, involved in making a product and a service. Hmm. Um, 
uh, and uh, you know, saying so is one thing. Actually, consuming is another. Mm-hmm. But the uh, that's the fastest growing category of uh, uh, of goods and services. Those that have not just personal appeal, mm-hmm. but also uh, do something good for society. All right. So there's the consumer need uh, in terms of just you know the the market for products and services. There's companies need to innovate, and you were about to say the impact or the need in terms of employees. Well, yeah. Number three is employees, and I think you're. Uh, Work on the the whole self is a beautiful example of that. Uh, you know, you ask employees today what do they want. Well, certainly I want a decent job and decent pay, etc. And what do some companies have on offer in the market for talent? Well, we'll put together a uh, uh, executive uh, dining room or have available all sorts of uh, cakes and candies and uh, pretzels and so on. Ah, uh, you know, can't forget the pretzels. Off. <laughs> work your ass off and uh, you get some treats. Uh, and, and that's that's a, a reasonable value proposition. It's, it's uh, mm. certainly better than whipping uh, till morale improves. Most people find that doesn't work very well. Not, <laughs> not, not well. a sustainable management strategy. No, it's still a practice, but not a, <laughs> not a successful one. Okay. Um, yeah, so the, the question is, uh, uh, is there some way in my work itself mm-hmm. Uh, that I can do some good for society. And that's incredibly appealing for uh, millennials, as you described. But it, uh, it also has resonance throughout the entire workforce, among the old guards, uh, baby boomers, uh, uh, certainly the Xers, and uh, the interesting question when it comes to disease. We'll talk about that later. Ah, and, um, whether the, the, so, the, the people just entering the workforce now, yeah, the Generation yeah. Z, is, is, is social impact an issue for them too. That has much of an impact. Ah, you're, we you're, know it's a general wave, but uh, among millennials, it peaks. We'll uh, see about Z. Interesting. All right, uh, that is a topic we are going to want to dig further into. But I mean, one of the main reasons why I was so eager to get you to speak with me on this show is is the the impact on employees and and how valuable it is for so many people to have this sense of uh, an elevated sense of meaning and purpose in their work if they are doing something that has uh, a benefit to, to the world beyond just their, their business. Why is that so important to people? Well, I think, it, uh, you know, there's a, a kind of jaded argument, particularly as it applies to millennials, that came of age in relative comfort. Mm. Um <clears throat> It's a, it's a pretty good employment market now, uh, so they're looking for some icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the deeper uh, sense about this is uh, that uh, people today have exposure to much more information about the world around them. They have a, a global mindset. They have been in elementary school, junior high, high school. On uh, uh, you know, they visit soup kitchens. They go out and see the needs of society. They put their heads on the ground and listen to Mother Earth. They understand climate change, mm-hmm. uh, and that has activated them. Mm-hmm. To say, I'd like to be a part of making things better. Hmm. So. So it's in part because of just a greater awareness through access to information about the world that young people, especially, perhaps not Gen Z, but millennials have been um, really catalyzed, if you will, to, to, to do something. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, you know, a very interesting argument, are we born to care? 
uh, and, and some interesting evidence that uh, young people w- will care about uh, uh, the other kids in their play group, do care about uh, you know animals and birds and so on, etc., mm-hmm. uh, etc. Et and and uh, you know in uh, the old model that's fine. Just don't bring it into the business world where mm-hmm. your job is to work and not lift up your head. And, and mm-hmm. the new model, uh, people are saying, well, why can't I express that sense of caring uh, in what I do on the job? And as part of a company that cares. Yes, yes, and and what you've done in this in this brilliant piece with Brad Guggins is to catalog what companies indeed are doing. Uh, before we we go further into what you found and and some of the exemplars or examples of of the different forms of uh, or different platforms for engaging employees in social innovation, can you say more about how you've seen? the landscape shift over these last couple of decades. In addition to, you know, the digital age and access to the world's information at our fingertips, are there other trends that have, that are noteworthy that people should know about that or just think about in terms of understanding why the, the interest has grown? Sure. I think uh, one is, I think we've become much more sensitized to uh, the impact of business on the world. Uh, whether that's uh, you know big picture items like uh, uh, carbon emissions into the atmosphere, mm-hmm. or uh, these uh, dramatic tales that are heartrending of a uh, you know a factory blowing up because of uh, the, the factory blowing up that's making my T-shirt mm-hmm. uh, because big business has outsourced uh, its production somewhere else, and you know in the, the recent. 20 years, we've had uh, Nike get hammered for uh, mm-hmm. uh, terrible accidents in its factory. We've had Michael Moore uh, bring, bring General Motors to account for uh, uh, profiteering. You've had uh, all sorts of scandals, and, and uh, nobody wants to say to be a part of that kind of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, the upside is, um, can I be part of something that's good for society? Now, uh, Steve, you may, may remember when I was uh, uh, 29 years old, I got a call from a couple of two real guys, Ben and Jerry. And they said, you know, we got, we're got we starting our company. We've got some good ideas. We're having a lot of fun. But we're not sure uh, how to do this thing. We're not business people. So I spent about 10 years working with Ben and Jerry's. And, you know, the, as they say, the rest is history, an extraordinary uh, social commitment to, uh, by that business. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were the first American company to practice the triple bottom line of mm-hmm. uh, for society, uh, the planet, and, and people. Um, and, and when we talked to the employees in there, um, they said, you know, what, what makes this job so meaningful to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, in most studies, of course, it's the actual work I do. Is it interesting, stimulating, mm-hmm. challenging? Mm-hmm. Well, to be truthful to you, running an ice cream factory is not the most interesting, stimulating, and challenging job you can have. But what what the Ben and Jerry's folks said is, what's most important to me is the purpose of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not only making a you know organic, fresh, uh, uh, high quality ice cream that people love. Uh, I'm part of a company that's trying to make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And that became a, their primary source of, of satisfaction and motivation, and and really set the tone for a, a whole new generation of of, uh, of organizations dedicated to that kind of purpose. So, tell us about how what you and, and your your partner Brad Guggins um, 
how you describe the different kinds of platforms for employee engagement as social innovators. Okay, sure. So let, let's start with the basic issue. Okay. Uh, businesses always, uh, good businesses have always been concerned about society and the community. And we create volunteer experiences for you to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you want to coach your little league team, that's fine. But if you'd like to use your business skills, your business know-how, etc., uh, we can help you find volunteer opportunities in schools or in communities or working with nonprofits and so on. Mm-hmm. What, these, what these companies, uh, uh, the switch came, frankly, when, you, when people understood you can make a business out of being socially responsible. So that not only can I do good, but I can do good as an integral part of my job. So the four platforms, uh, uh, would you like me to review each of them? Or, uh, uh, yeah, if you could just give us a, a, a brief description, and then I'll ask you for maybe an example of each, one that is your particular favorite. And, and uh, I, I think what listeners are going to be especially interested in is how they can um, – you know, learn from these examples and these different types to see what might be possible in their world. Sure, and get in the game. Yeah. Well, no, number one uh, is where we started here, Stu. Uh, people have been through, uh, had an idea about being an entrepreneur. They've had, uh, they maybe have, have built out their idea, whether it's a new app or a new kind of product mm-hmm. and so on on their college campuses or in, in a business school classroom. Uh, what companies have done now is create social innovation labs within the business mm-hmm. where people can try out new ideas that uh, they have to have some commercial relevance. Okay. Yeah, uh, but uh, it, it, let's also have some environmental and social impact mm-hmm. uh, with these things. And there are labs all over the place. Uh, I can give you, you know, 20, 30 examples in every country. Uh, I was in one in New York two weeks ago, and four weeks ago I was one in one in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. <laughs> so the, uh, it's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. What were they uh, doing taking, in, in New York, for example? Uh, you know, in New York it was interesting, coming up with new financial products for Barclays. Uh-huh. Uh, these, were, these were simple things like how about setting up a, an account which rounds up your balance uh, every week uh, with uh, sort of a... Uh, $300.12, it becomes $301, hmm. and that $0.88 cents is going to go to some uh, social benefit. Hmm. You you pick groups that we might work with. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a product that's now offered by Barclays as, as a uh, checking and savings account for people. Hmm. And, and Addis, uh, it was quite interesting. They were developing a uh, an app uh, for their equivalent of Uber, where as part of the uh, work, uh, the Uber driver or the, the where you dropped uh, uh, where you were dropped off, uh, there would be some uh, uh, someone who would help uh, in, in uh, giving them some educational materials hmm. uh, about what's happening in uh, Ethiopian society and how they might uh, contribute uh, in various ways. Wonderful example. So that's the the social entrepreneurship inside of a business. Yeah, it's inside um, of a business uh, and uses things like uh, skunk works, uh, incubators, and so on, mm-hmm. to where employees don't just come up with an idea, but they get help from their peers and managers mm-hmm. and, and even the public to develop it and, and give it some uh, real capability. 
And without going into details on this now, you listeners, as you're imagining something like this, you can you can well see how this would have not just a positive social impact, but help employees to learn about innovation. It would connect them to something more meaningful beyond uh, what they do in the day-to-day. The organization's going to learn something about innovation. Tell us about the other three kinds that you've observed. Okay, so the second one is uh, we're not going to create an innovation lab inside for society. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have you partner with uh, a social innovator out in the world. So social entrepreneurs are everywhere. We just did a study in Africa where uh, 10% of the population, uh, of the adult population, in, including 18-year-olds, mm-hmm. uh, fancy themselves as social entrepreneurs trying wow. to come up with business ideas. Hmm. Uh, you know, partly the employment is not there in the stable uh, uh, national uh, government positions and mm-hmm. corporations, but partly it's just this is what I, I want to be a business person, but I want to be a social business person. Hmm. So, uh, you know, rather than volunteer at the little league or uh, in a food kitchen, uh, you're going to work with uh, and partner with social entrepreneurs, help them develop their ideas. So the company now, helps to connect employees to such uh, nonprofits or or for profit social entrepreneurial organizations in their community, in their environment. Absolutely. And and it's typically a voluntary assignment. Uh, now you say, well, our company is doing this for goodwill. Mm-hmm. Well, we were looking uh, at uh, one of the large telecom- telephone companies in, in Europe, and they said, uh, yeah, sure, it's goodwill, but let me tell you, number one, our people have been in the regulated utility for 25 years. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to innovate. Mm. This is a classroom for them. Hmm. They're learning how to do these things and getting a taste of the market and Mm -hmm. the entrepreneurial zeal and energy. Mm -hmm. Number two, they say some of these ideas really connect to our telephone business. How about if we work with you not just through volunteers, but as a business partner? And so the story goes, they, they take things to market. And how does this affect the employee in terms of how she feels about herself in her life beyond her job? Well, I think to, to, I think it becomes more dramatic in the next one. But I would say in this okay. context, what happens is, uh, first of all, um, you've made a new friend, someone that uh, hmm. probably isn't from your neighborhood, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, not someone you would normally associate with uh, in your professional uh, life. Um, and and you, you've had a chance to see uh, how someone fired up can can uh, contribute some real value to society. That's a, both a personal inspiration emerges from that mm-hmm. and, and vicariously a sense that, hey, I helped make it happen. Hmm. So there's a kind of gratification there for having done some good. Sure. All right. So tell us about the uh, the third type, which is the, the pro bono problem solving. Yeah, yeah. Now, what what this does is it takes this idea and says rather than just a single innovator, yeah. or, you know, t- tied up with maybe one or two people from our company, we're going to send teams around the world. Hmm. Now, you you know, organizations like uh, Doctors Without Borders and this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some models of this uh, for people as individuals to to connect, but it hasn't been a corporate tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'll tell you a quick story. I have a, a friend mm-hmm. of mine worked for IBM uh, in the uh, early 2000s. 
IBM had a lot of problems uh, and a lot of opportunities. They had completely restructured under Lou Gershner. You know, they got rid of the PC. Mm -hmm. uh, they got rid of the bad software. They bought uh, some companies to help them get into the uh, uh, network computing and personal services. They were really uh, had all the assets they needed to be more competitive. But in that process of restructuring, they, they'd lost their souls. Uh, Sam Palmasano comes in. He says, we need something to capture our, our spirit, our historic connection to society. And by the way, we need something to attract uh, young people who, after all, say, why don't I go to work with Apple or, or Google? Why would I go to IBM? Right. And uh, Kevin said, uh, from based on his experience, the most memorable thing that happened in his life was in the Peace Corps. Hmm. So, uh, you know, here's a guy seven layers down in the corporate hierarchy who sends uh, an email to Sam saying, why don't we set up a Peace Corps hmm. in IBM? And? Oh, man, uh, you know, the initial reaction was, are you nuts? Uh, <laughs> but as, as, as they got into this, they yeah. said, yeah. I mean, it hits all the buttons. It uh, excites our workforce. All it right. gives us collectively a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, we're, we want to be a global network business. How do we get our people? And I'm not talking just U.S. people. I'm mm -hmm. talking people all over the world, around the world, mm -hmm. familiar with and connected to the globe and what it means to do business in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. So they uh, set up this idea and they, they uh, said, we'd like people to submit applications to join the IBM Corporate Service Corps. Corporate Service Corps. Yeah. They had expected they'd get maybe 100, 100 if they were lucky. How many did they get? 10,000. No way. <laughs> yeah. 10,000 applications for the first one. Wow. Now, you know how many applications they had last year? About 30,000. Wow. So this is something everybody wants to be a part of. Yeah. Amazing. Everybody wants to be a part of. Tell us about the enterprise-wide social innovation, the last of the four kinds that you've cataloged. Yeah, well, the last is when the company itself makes a commitment to more socially responsible and environmentally sensible ways of doing business. Now, you see this uh, very visibly in companies like Unilever uh, mm -hmm. with their uh, sustainable living emphases, uh, and Danone, uh, the yogurt maker. Uh, Danone, D-A-N-O-N-E. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, Danone uh, last year had 130 social innovation teams all around the world. And just as part of your regular job, your, cha your task with some coworkers is to solve a problem that we have uh, in, the, uh, in, in the business that's good for society. Hmm. Now, you know, maybe your team works on how do we how do we deal with the methane emissions from cows, <laughs> cows shit and fart. <laughs> you know that uh, it's a problem. Any, it's a problem. So what can we do about that? An extraordinary set of ideas emerged uh, mm. and practices emerged from these teams that helped uh, them all over the world in terms of uh, uh, you know recycling this using it mm -hmm, as. Uh, mm -hmm. Fuel, uh, setting up uh, electric generation from this, et cetera, et cetera, and, and hundreds of these. And they have an annual uh, social innovation fest 
where hundreds of the team, you know, hundreds of teams come together, present their work so that everybody learns about it. Uh, there's awards and cheering, but there's also seminars about, okay, how do we scale this idea? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, how can we improve this idea? Uh, and so on. What have you observed, particularly in the Denon example or Unilever, what, what's the impact on how, it, how the employees feel about themselves? Not so much their connection to the company, but to their lives. Yeah, I, I think, Stu, you made a, a in your whole, whole self model. We have these four circles. Mm-hmm. My personal meeting, my connection to my uh, family and life, uh, my work in my company and my work in society. Mm-hmm. What, the, what, what this kind of activity does is it creates a big intersection point. Mm-hmm. It says, I can check the box in all of these areas. Mm. Wow. Who could ask for more? Now, if your aim is more money, okay, well, you know, maybe I can get paid more some other shop. But if your aim is a full life and full leadership, it's a pretty good value proposition. Amazing. And uh, so wonderful to see that this is uh, really burgeoning as a, as a kind of movement in, in our corporate world. I want to hear more about that and... And also your thoughts, uh, Phil, about what this means for the next generations of employees uh, and the, their commitment to, to building on this kind of uh, foundation. Um, what are the trends as you look to the next 10 years uh, for how this, this movement in, in corporate society, let's call it, uh, is is likely to um, grow? Well, it's, it's interesting, Stu. I think you're, go- you're going to see uh, spots all over the world. I mentioned Ethiopia. So on the way to Ethiopia, I stopped at Heathrow Airport. Mm-hmm. I walked along, and suddenly I noticed that every step I took was lighting up yellow and blue uh, signs all over and, uh, to the side of me. And I looked up, and on top of that was the energy savings uh, by having a foot-powered stairwell <laughs> by, by my footsteps. And uh, I smiled because this is a social innovation done by a company called Ferrovial, a Spanish company that operates the Heathrow Airport, and it came from a contest where an employee uh, came up with this idea. So how does it work exactly? Your footsteps create the energy to, to light up a portion of the airport. Oh, wow. Foot-powered foot lighting. Yep. Power floor. <laughs> Power floor. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's extraordinary, the so, possibilities. So, right. This is someone that put together everything, you know, the different principles uh, and so on. So you're going to see lots of examples like, like this, and, and some are quite scalable. Uh, I was over in Singapore, and uh, one of the problems they have on their subway system, of course, is that everybody, uh, it's very crowded, everybody has to go through uh, one or two doors per car. Now, if you're you're in Japan, there's an employee there with a broom. He's pushing uh, you in. Pushing in. Yeah. Not in Singapore. That's not acceptable. Uh So this this team developed a, uh, a car where the entire side lifts up. And folds up almost like an old DeLorean car. <laughs> uh huh. I remember those. Large numbers of people can get in and out, and then it closes. Simple. 
You just had to be thinking about what uh, those passengers needed to make yeah, a more efficient yeah, exit. Not only the passengers needed, but what's our technology? Mm-hmm. What's uh, the safety considerations? Uh, how can this is this more or less energy efficient, mm-hmm. uh, and so on? Is that the big so driver as you uh, that you see uh, really motivating all these social innovations going forward? The the climate impact? Uh, no, no. I think it's an important feature. I mean, we use the. You know, you can ask for social benefits, employment. Social benefits are huge. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a whole field concerned with um, as uh, the poor around the world enter into uh, uh, the consumer market. And this is happening in huge scales in China, India, but also throughout the world. Is can we give them products mm-hmm. that meet their needs? Mm-hmm. Well. Uh, one of Dan Allen's uh, products, one of Unilever's products, is a fortified breakfast bar. Mm-hmm. So, so among poor people in there, in India and uh, Africa, uh, there's problems with getting enough iodine, getting enough salt, getting enough uh, uh, nutrients, and so on. Why don't we put that into uh, our foods, our products, uh, as opposed to... Uh, uh, solidifiers, preservatives, and things you can't even pronounce. Mm. Let's put healthy stuff in here. And fortified foods, uh, there's even a fancy term for it, nutraceuticals. Nutraceuticals. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I get that. Well, so yeah, That's the, uh, the the word of the day. Are, are, what can someone do in a company that's not so inclined or is conscious and aware of uh, social impact uh, through uh, whether it's you know inside the company partnering with with social entrepreneurs doing pro bono sol- problem solving or or these enterprise social innovation uh, you know task forces what can what what's a good way for someone to get started if they wanted to bring more social impact into their working life and thereby enrich their sense of meaning and purpose in their work sure well, certainly there's individual work that can be done in terms of coming up with new ideas, etc. But as you and your listeners well know, 90% of those never get out from the uh, great idea and not get back to work uh, phase. Right. Um, so it, it takes a, 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 a set of skills to do it. One of them is educational skills. Mm-hmm. How do I educate my peers, my boss, my company about what is going on in the world and what other leading companies are doing. Hmm. So to set the, the, you, by making those social comparisons to other firms, perhaps, you know, firms that are playing in the same, in the same arena, you might uh, provoke interest through uh, competitive uh, urges. Yeah. Uh, you know, competitive urges, not to mention just, duh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> just just educational. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Second, of course, is political skills. Mm-hmm. Because uh, while some of you know, ideas are cheap, getting them uh, developed into market is not. So you need to enlist people. And that can be everything from, uh, you know, preparing your own personal sales pitches, expanding your network, uh, getting uh, your boss to meet somebody who does something like this in their company, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so on and so on. Uh, so there's a, a whole set of skills uh, mm-hmm. uh, that entrepreneurs know. Sure. Uh, but uh, but entrepreneurs uh, need to learn. And I think uh, this idea of uh, innovation is not a solo job. 
uh, enlisting uh, your peers and friends and uh, and so on. And it's surprising the number, you know, we talked about this in terms of the, uh, that fourth sphere of work and life. They get their spouses, even get their kids sure. involved in, in uh, presenting these ideas. Right. And don't, developing these ideas. And, and don't you want your kids to see you as someone who is contributing to, in some way, you know, world betterment and not uh, acting just as a self-serving uh, tool of some larger... Uh, you know, force that um, you know isn't uh, is has got the profit motive uh, at, at its oh, sure. center. Uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a much better story. Of what did you do today on the job than uh, cranked out widgets or uh, ducked my head under the desk so nobody saw me? And so, what prov- it, what prevents people doing in, in the uh, uh, there's science fairs in schools? Why don't we have science fairs in the business? <laughs> mm-hmm. That are dedicated to doing something that's both good for the business as well sure. as for the world beyond. So, <clears throat> other tips uh, for how or resources that people can access for uh, you know, moving this idea forward in their in their own world. Sure, I think there's an extraordinary, interesting set of opportunities to network uh, because there's a new sort of innovation infrastructure taking place. Hmm. Uh, many towns now have a innovation hub. Mm-hmm. Where small businesses uh, can uh, get, uh, you know, come together, have a co-work space, uh, do a little coaching and counseling with one another, uh, have a have a place that will uh, uh, receive your mail, and maybe even somebody answers the phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody call? Uh, and and uh, to, con- to be honest, I think that there's two benefits from people who you know have a job and. Uh, uh, are okay with it. Uh, one is to hang out in these places, uh, pick up some ideas, make some new friends, etc. Uh, and secondly, uh, as you get into it, you know maybe you discover this is where you want to be mm-hmm. uh, with with your life rather than uh, whiling away in the cubicle. Because to you know companies that are not moving uh, in these directions, yes. uh, they're at risk. Number one, uh, it, it ain't that much uh, social fulfillment working there. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- uh, number two and three, uh, there's some interesting opportunities depending on uh, your own uh, risk appetite mm-hmm. and uh, uh, get up and go uh, to get involved with a different set of players and uh, remake yourself. And you're going to feel differently about yourself uh, in terms of what you do every day. And that's, that's of course, going to spill over into other relationships that matter to you, not just at work, but also in your family and with your friends, et cetera. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's the simply the challenge of making something new, and then the added uh, appeal of not only did it make something uh, that was new, but it has some real benefits. So in addition to seeking out uh, innovation hubs that might exist in your town and your city, um, do you have other suggestions for what people can do to learn more about how they can pursue these ideas, whether they're working in a big company or they run their own small shop or are just starting out? I mean, we talked about the idea of of sharing knowledge about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you do a quick uh, search on the web, and I've done this over the years, um, social innovation, 10 years ago, uh, you had about uh, 40,000 hits. Now you have about uh, uh, 4 billion. Wow. Uh, and, you know, wheel over to uh, uh, YouTube and other sites like this, 
people are telling their stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, There's lots of of things out there. Uh, And and, and for me, it is is, uh, understanding that uh, your career is not, I mean, the old model, the organization managed your career. Mm -hmm. The the new model, you manage your career. It's all on you. And uh, it's, it's not all on you. You, you got some allies out there. You got to build those. Though. You got to find them, but right? You, you got you got to build a network. Uh, you you've got to educate and work uh, mm-hmm. uh, with your existing organization, and you got to keep your eye out there. Maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and what I meant by all on you is simply that it's you, you have to take some initiative to make those connections and to and to pursue those kinds of uh, opportunities to expand your consciousness, your awareness. I've got a few other things I want to get to, uh, including what you said earlier, uh, Phil, about the next generation, Gen Z, uh, and their take on social innovation and their awareness of and motivation to pursue it. What, What are you saying? Well, it's interesting. You know, it's early days, uh, but uh, let me give you a little data and theory okay. about this. You know, when we think of generations, you sort of see the pendulum swing in terms of how they operate and behave. So I'm of the baby boomer generation. Mm-hmm. This was a group that at least professed to be interested in uh, uh, the betterment of society, uh, had an anti-authority attitude, and of course, in the context of the Vietnam War, were part of great social movements, et cetera, et cetera. Gen X that followed, not any individual, but as a norm, was more conservative, more buttoned down. Mm-hmm. And then we get the millennials, whoosh, uh, again, for purpose, for impact, for a better life, and all they didn't amplify by social media. Yes. The theory argues that, well, maybe with Z, the pendulum is going to swing back. Swing back. back. You know, we've got a whole set of people who uh, uh, experienced the economic crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a... Student uh, debt. uh, Yeah, in debt. Big, big debt from uh, college and Mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe those that uh, studied uh, STEM subjects are going to have plenty of opportunities. Uh, but those that aren't, you know, is that are the jobs going to be there? Are they going to be low wage jobs or, or uh, temporary assignments, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, you know, in that case, you maybe you you better uh, stick to the knitting, keep your mouth shut, mm. uh, take take care of yourself. Now mm. that's the theory. Uh, mm. The other, of course, is that this is the wash of history, and that these uh, movements uh, will not be stopped. That uh, and that uh, disease, along with uh, uh, everyone else, will be swept into uh, uh, both attention to the planet, uh, where there's going to be demonstrable issues, and attention to uh, uh, the society. Can we help make a better world? So, what and, do you what do you expect your grandchildren going to be doing with their yeah, lives I, I, when I'm they grow up? On them. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. So, what do what do you expect they're going to do? Yeah, I, 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 I'm currently working on the Great Wash of History. Uh-huh. But, uh, Had a feeling. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm uh, I'm still mindful uh, of these uh, security needs of uh, children mm-hmm. and parents that are. Uh, uh, as I look at my uh, daughters, uh, really keeping a close eye on their kid. I don't think they're training entrepreneurs <laughs> <laughs> in their helicopter model. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's another topic, Phil, that I think is probably beyond the the scope of this discussion. But um, I, we're, we're going to have to tune in again at some point down the road to see uh, how this how this is shaping up. I I have to agree though that there, it, it's hard to imagine a world in which uh, young people turn away from the the social problems surrounding them and the climate. The climate uh, change demands of uh, just attending to saving the world, literally the physical world. I wanted to turn though before we wrap up to uh, one of your earlier pieces. It was really a major study that you called the cynical Americans. Could you yeah. tell us what, just in like a minute, what the big idea was and how it might relate to what we're experiencing right now? Sure. I think the, uh, I mean, the big idea is one that we're living in right now and we'll uh, experience again tonight, no doubt, is nobody trusts nobody anymore. Mm. You know, politicians will lie, cheat, uh, put on a false face, whatever they have to, to get ahead. Business leaders will do the same. And so on. The cynicism study, it was was done in the 80s, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, was that uh, not only is this an idea about the world out there and what it's like, the dog-eat-dog world. But maybe this is, is the way humans are. Hmm. This is the endemic to human nature. And we found about 40% of the public said, yeah, that's the way the world works. Wise hmm. up. Hmm. That's, just, that's just who we are. So, um, so, so and someone that, that hasn't go. dropped a lot in the I intervening see. years. And I must tell you, in the current climate, it's, uh, it skyrockets. So what people going back to that work now, what... What would they learn? Well, I think that you, you, t- you would understand how uh, uh, these attitudes are formed and then internalized mm-hmm. into a, 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 you know, what we in the academia would call a belief system or a worldview. It's not, not just that there are characters and operators out there. Now, what's intriguing is uh, uh, some sort of use that as a shield. I'm not going to be taken in by these hustlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, others say, listen, this is, this is my sword. This is the way to get ahead. I'm going to lie, cheat, and do whatever I have to hmm. because it's a dog-eat-dog world. And, uh, boy, you can see that uh, in our political world. Less visible in the business world, but mm-hmm. uh, hang on. So uh, worth uh, a fresh look. Uh, one of the questions I've been asking everyone this year, my question of the year, last year I asked about compassion because I wanted to highlight that as an issue. The, 2019, I'm hoping, is going to be the year of accountability. So I'm wondering, uh, what, if anything, do you do to hold yourself accountable for living and working in accord with your core values? What can you say about that in 30 seconds? Yeah, well, there's the old uh, injunction of uh, the Greek philosophers, uh, know thyself, Hmm. Uh, look in the mirror. I mean, as part of my professional practice and as part of my personal practice, uh, I I do take a look in the mirror and do that self-reflection. But I think the the other part of accountability is checking in with the other, Mm -hmm. both not only understand what they think about you, you know, getting feedback, but what do they help for you? What do they expect of you? What do they uh, see as your other possibilities? And hmm. That's where uh, not only friends are important, but but in, but also your family. Indeed, indeed, and we and most people don't do enough of that. So, uh, w- what are you working on now that you're most excited about? Well, I've gotten interested in to, in these questions in the context 
of the professional work that Stu, you and I, and others do in terms of research. Hmm. Um, you know, we, we seem to be in a strange environment where academic professors are turning out uh, studies uh, uh, here, studies there that are read primarily by other professors. Uh, they're not being embraced and understood by practitioners. Uh, the only way to, to, uh, to see stuff in the practical world is through publications of Wharton and other uh, uh, institutions that are rewritten and, and repackaged. <laughs> uh, the academic voices are lost. The subjects we're studying aren't relevant to practice and so on. Hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm tilting at windmills now, and trying to encourage scholars, uh, uh, as we were encouraged in our graduate indeed, days, indeed, indeed, do work that is relevant to practice. Yes, Phil, thank you so much for joining me on the show tonight. Where's the best place for listeners to find out more about your work in social innovation and all the other research and practice you're up to? Well, the usual websites: LinkedIn, uh, research. Wikipedia, and so on. I'm be delighted to get some feedback, and I'm always on the hunt for interesting ideas and new friends. Phil, I really appreciate the time to speak with you and hear about your great work. Thank you again for being a part of it. Okay, Stu, and congratulations to you on this good series. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Phil Mervis and that it provoked your thinking about how work organizations can focus on their financial markers and incorporate ways of thinking about their product or service in the larger context of helping to improve our world in some way and the benefits to employees and their lives that derive from taking this approach. So here's a challenge for you, an invitation. No matter what you do for a living, think about how can you innovate with your product or service, your organization, even in some small way, so that you're engaging yourself and some of your fellow employees, maybe all of them, in helping the community our society, or in somehow making our planet just a little bit healthier. What ideas start to pop when you ask yourself this question? Do you start to feel differently about your work and about yourself when you begin to imagine the possibilities? I would love to hear what thoughts emerge and what ideas for action you might start to consider. You can write to me directly, friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu, or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit totalleadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, 
have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.